Hello, welcome to Careers Talk. I'm Kerry Eustace. Prepare yourselves for something of a techie takeover. This week's pod is packed with programmer types talking about their fledging careers in digital and web development. Later in the show, we're going to be joined by rational tools specialist Manit Sahab, developer James Coglin, and 16-year-old programming prodigy Josh Pickett to talk coding, hack days and CV spreadsheets. But before all that, we've got a roundup of this week's careers news. Ali White is here as always in the studio, but Harriet's lost her voice, so her seat is being kept warm by one of the wannabe hacks, Nick Petrie. It's actually Nick's last day at The Guardian. Hello, Nick. Hi there. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. How do you feel on your last day? Uh, A little bit odd. It's been seven months and all of a sudden it's going to change. Yeah, so where are you off to? Tell us about your new job. Um, I'm off to The Telegraph, so um, sort of swapping one Mm. broadsheet for another. And I'm off to be a community manager there to work with their uh, community's editor, Kate Day. Okay, so what do you think sort of helped you get that job? I mean, it is a tough job market at the moment, so any Uh, tips? Two main things. First of all is my experience with Wannabe Hacks. Um, We've been working hard to develop a good community there, and the role I'm taking up at The Telegraph is all about sort of community and interaction. And my experience at The Guardian, for the last seven months I've been working uh, on developing their professional communities. So being able to demonstrate that experience uh, in an interview was sort of very helpful. Oh, well, good luck. We're going to miss you. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to miss coming here as well. Are you excited? Uh, not yet. I think when I finish this evening, um, I'll be sort of excited about Monday morning. Okay, well, let's crack on with the news then. Al, you're going to start with your story. I shall. What have you got? So, students leaving university this year are going to face intense competition. I guess that's nothing new. But um, apparently, their survey by High Flyers indicated a 33% increase in applications. So, you sort of, I thought the headline news here was, you know, oh no, this is really bad. But what they're actually saying, what they say the survey has revealed, is there's actually a lot more confidence in the graduate job market and students are starting earlier and applying for more jobs. So, you know, students in the universities that took part in the survey, so from 30 different unis, are expected to send a total of 343,000 applications, and that's up by a third on last year. And, you know, they're saying this confidence means that perhaps more, that during the recession, a lot more opted out of job hunting and enrolled in, you know, further study and went travelling. And, you know, in the hope that prospects would be better on their return. So it looks like people are a bit more confident. But again, I think, you know, as a lot of our experts say, it's really important to make sure these applications are good ones. You're not just sort of spraying and praying 100 applications. So I think, you know, if the competition is that tough, people need to think about what they're putting out there. So, yeah, but good news, I suppose. Okay, so talking about standing out from the crowd, my story. Do you remember last year there was the sandwich board graduate sort Mm -hmm. of um, went trapping around the city with a sandwich board saying, hire me? Well, he's been usurped now. Um, An unemployed Irish marketing graduate has gone one bigger and uh, erected a billboard in Dublin uh, trying to raise his profile and get a job. Um, In response to mass unemployment, Faleem Mack and IMS spent just shy of two grand, all of his his savings, I know it's a lot of money, um, pleading employers to stop him emigrating. So there's this huge billboard in central Dublin saying, save me from emigration. And it's got Philippe sort of staring wistfully (laughs) at New York and London and landmarks in Sydney as well. Um, So And he did this after returning from Australia, travelling for a year and spending eight months without a job. 
Um, and he decided that, you know, rather than kind of spend his money on going to another city, he was going to try and spend it on raising his profile and seeing if he can get people to come to him. Um, and although he spent those eight months without a job, just doing that billboard has got him a massive response and he's had loads of attention. Um, CV experts have approached him saying they'll look over his CV. And in addition to the billboard, he had a Facebook page and a Twitter account where he's had lots of sort of well wishes, sort of sending in messages and and, and look kind of people showing interest in him. Um, and although he said he doesn't necessarily want to be offered a job on a plate, he wants to go through the interview process like everybody else. He's confident that something's going to come of it. Um, so there was two things that kind of struck me about this story. Um, firstly, as he's a marketing graduate and presumably wants to get into the marketing industry, it's what a perfect way to sort mm. of show that you're good for the job. He's, he's created a whole campaign from scratch about himself, essentially. So he's done the advertising with the billboard, the PR by getting his story and countless sort of national newspapers. And then he's got the social media aspect as well, where he's got this Facebook page, which has got 6,000 likes, and he's got some 600 followers and counting on Twitter. So he's the doing the job he wants, essentially. Yeah. And the second point I had was, you know, this is the competition. This is people are, you know, <laughs> buying billboards to make them stand out. And I'm not saying that everybody should go out and <laughs> erect a billboard. They'd be everywhere and, and it'd be made redundant. But... <laughs> You know, it shows that you do have to have something extra, whether that's kind of you've been involved in a club or set up a club or, you know, started a site like Wannabe Hacks, like Nick does, or, you've, you know, you've got something special going on on Twitter or you've started your own business. You need something to create interest around yourself and your applications and something that you can even talk about in interviews. So, you know, bear it in mind that you've got billboards to contend with. Um, Nick, what's your story? Um, so I've picked a topic that we're covering on Wannabe Hacks today, which is um, sort of finding the perfect job. So what do you do when you're a graduate, um, possibly even a postgrad? You feel like you've put a lot of time and effort into developing your skills. Um, and then you can't get a job that you actually, that you want. Yeah, there are jobs in the industry, but you don't feel they're quite right for you. So how do you go about um, getting that perfect job? And what do you do if it doesn't sort of come along straight away? And the question is, are grads sort of expected to start at too, too low? Yeah, is the, uh, the bottom of the ladder, do they feel that that's below them because they've spent so much time and money sort of investing in skills? Um, so you know, how, do you, how do you deal with that emotionally? Like, how do you cope with um, figuring out whether you can start sort of at that point? Um, or do you not have a choice? Do you just have to sort of muck in, um, do your time and work your way up? Um, and the pressure that you have from all of your friends getting jobs as well. You see a lot of people taking up positions, being successful in an interview. And how do you cope with sort of getting knocked back time and time again whilst other friends that have done the same uh, course as you, that have put the same amount of time and effort in, um, are sort of all getting employed and you're not. And it's an interesting you know, topic because uh, grads sort of feel a lot of pressure to, to get something. You know, you've got loans to pay back, you've got rent to pay, especially if, you're, um, if you've moved out already and if you've taken a chance on a, on a postgrad. So, yeah, how, how, do you, how do you cope with the pressure and make sure you actually get the right job straight out of university? So what was the advice there? I mean, how can you kind of deal with those kind of choices? Well, sort of the, the post covered it in a very sort of personal way in that do you work an unrelated job to sort of keep the money coming in so that you can continue to pursue the right job? Um, and the danger you face sort of thinking that this will be the perfect job for you without having much experience. Um, and you might, you might start work in a job that you think is just right um, and then find out that it wasn't everything you thought it was going to be. Mm. 
Okay, so we'll put a post, um, a link up to that post so people can share their comments with you. Fantastic, thanks very much. Thanks very much. Dear Julian is one for all the unpaid interns and workies out there. Mr Lindley discusses how to get paid for your work when you're just starting out. So our email this week is from a freelance journalist who has been working for free uh, for lots of fantastic places. And their question is, when do you draw the line between working for free, volunteering and charging for it? The reality is at the moment, it's really difficult to actually justify charging for something unless you are offering a really tangible reason that they should be paying you. A really good example, actually, is I was lecturing in a university last year. Actually, it was a couple of years ago. And one of the things uh, I was saying to the students was, if you want to break into journalism, there are hundreds of journalists out there who are really good writers. And almost now, what we need as an industry is not more writers. What we need are reporters who can find stories that we can use to sell newspapers, sell magazines, get eyeballs on websites. And I use the example of this brilliant piece of citizen journalism that I'd seen where, um, and if you recall, where Leona Lewis got assaulted at a book signing in a record store. And I said how fantastic I was, uh, how fantastic I thought it was that the media around that, so the pictures and the video, uh, had been supplied by someone who'd been there. And as I was talking about this, this guy in the lecture hall put his hand up and said, actually, that was me that, that caught that. And he was a journalism student. He recognised something important was happening. He recorded it. He photographed it. He sold the content to The Sun. And then I think Heat Magazine bought up the second rights to it. And I thought that is exactly how journalists should be working these days. So rather than just being able to write something clever or funny about something that's going on in the world, you know what? There's plenty of qualified people with names who can do that. I would say that now what you have to do is to create that news and become famous, if you like, but get a reputation for being able to deliver that type of content. So the best way to approach a company you're working for to ask about sort of transferring your voluntary work into paid work is to, first of all, pick the right person to speak to. So, you know, in my experience of journalism, I wouldn't go to the editor I wouldn't go to the deputy editor. I would probably go to a features editor or someone who was in a managerial position in charge of budgets, but someone who's kind of approachable and whose time isn't necessarily as valuable as an editor's time. And I would just ask their advice about how to make that transition because they're the ones that are going to understand the culture of the business, but will probably be young enough and close enough to where you're at to understand the issues. Second of all, when you speak to them, be really clear about what it is that you think that you offer and not in an arrogant, cocky way. Graduates quite often have an attitude that they deserve stuff before they've earned it. So I would say just be realistic about who you are, where you are, your experience and be respectful of the fact that your bosses have been through the process and have got the job. So listen to them. But I would be inclined to say I've been working here for some, such and such an amount of time now. Um, you know, I've contributed this, this, this and this to the business. It was really popular. Be able to kind of prove your worth. 
And then there's nothing wrong with just appealing to some the humanity in people, you know, and just say, I'm finding it really tough to survive. How do you recommend I go about getting a job in this industry? And is there any way do you think that I could be employed? And it's always best to ask the advice of people who've been through it. That was Julian Lindley, Creative Director at Bauer. Right, how's this for a job description? Rational Tools Specialist Role. Responsible for maintaining and developing the rational toolset to support the IT service centre processes. The support contact for installation, upgrade the toolset and licence management and troubleshooting issues. When I asked our next guest to translate that into English, he said... That basically means providing the following for a specific software suite. Second and third line support, design and implementation, development, configuration, installation, over the following, Windows XP, Windows 7, Windows 2003 server, Linux Red Hat, Apache, using the following, Visual Basic, Basic Peel and Java. If you understand any of that, then you're probably cut out for the web development and programming careers we're going to be discussing today. As part of our How I Broke Into theme, we're going to be talking to a group of young developers who've recently taken their first steps into programming careers to find out how they did it. First up, we've got Rational Tools Specialist Manit Sahab joining us on the phone from his office in Great Portland Street. He couldn't get away in case there was an IT emergency. And here in the studio, we've got band tracker website Songkick's junior developer, James Coughlin. Hello, both. Hey. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. And yourself? Yeah, good. No IT emergencies at the moment then, Manit? Uh, no. Okay, so just to start off, Manit, um, tell us a bit about your background then. How did you get interested in kind of web development? Um, I suppose it's just an interest from a very young age, working with computers, mostly breaking them and trying to fix them. <laughs> And it just went from there, really. I had, I had a passion for just working with them. I was always around them. And, you know, for the future in likes of iRobot and Minority Report, you know, <laughs> that it's going to be one day the world's going to be taken over by computers. And <laughs> to be part of that is exciting for me. So that's what you're currently working on, robots that are going to take over the world. Do your bosses know about that? <laughs> Not yet, no. <laughs> okay, so tell us about how you actually got your current job. Well, um, I finished late with my degree in August. And, you know, from the experience I had from applying for a placement, I realised that it's quite hard to actually find a job. Whereas I applied then for 10 places, I took it on board, and this time I applied for over 300 wow. in the space of a week. Wow. And with doing that, I logged everything on a spreadsheet. So whoever got back to me, I would put on their, you know, interviews, telephone interviews, what exactly they asked me. So in depth, so that if they did come back to me and said, oh, we're looking to process you further, I would know what they were talking about. Yeah, so those details sort of helped you make a connection with those employees. And what about this job? You you went through a recruitment consultant, is that right? Yeah, I got contacted from a job site and said, we've got a couple of jobs, uh, would you be interested? I mean, I applied for a wide variety, so I tailored my CV and covering letter into networking, support, um, programming, 
and I just put it out there really and whoever came back to me I wasn't fussy about it so I was like sure I'll go for it. Okay what about you James when did you start getting interested in development? Um, Probably I remember about kind of age 12 discovering that I could just make computers draw things and make noises and games and that sort of thing. I think the thing that kind of really got me into web development specifically is uh, when I was at university I got into photography I wanted to put that online and yeah just became kind of borderline obsessed with it as um, you know you, you start out just wanting to you know learn enough so you can make some project that you want to work on but some people you just get sucked into like all the technology around that and how it works and you dig deeper and deeper and you find out it's just a never-ending uh, treasure box of stuff to learn about. I certainly didn't have the kind of epic, like, 300 applications. <laughs> um, it probably would have killed me, to be honest. But, um, no, I was, like, basically, you know, anywhere that, you know, they would they would let me just, just hack on web stuff, you know, to contribute whatever I could. Um, so, luckily, I got, um, got a position doing that at kind of a small publishing company in Oxford. I was, like, their sole web guy and... When you're the sole web guy, you're also the sole, you know, fix the printer guy and why are the phones working guy. Um, but you do also have, because you're the only person in charge of all their, their, their tech stuff, you kind of do get to dictate what you do with your time to a certain extent. Like when you're, when someone comes to you and says, oh, we, you know, we need something that does this, you get a lot of freedom around how you build that, what tools you use. Um, you can figure out oh well it's going to take me this long and that means I can spend x amount of time just like learning some new things uh Songkick posted a uh, a vacancy on this um forum online called Hacker News you know it's, it seemed like a perfect opportunity you know to get into especially to get into a startup environment where you you get to work with some really smart people and have a lot of a lot of freedom around how you work I think that the the thing that really helped me pin that job down was um was side projects Firstly, that means like that there is code that you can show us that you've written. So it, it's it's great to just analyze someone's ability, but it's also a great gauge of their enthusiasm and how much they care. What about you, Manit? I know that you kind of dedicated that time to sending out all your Epic 300 applications, but what do you think was key to you getting your current job? Was it kind of the side project thing that James yeah, mentioned? Yeah, I, I will agree with that as well. Being proactive is key. I mean, whilst at university, I took on a networking course for Cisco and then also you know, doing part-time jobs here and there and just showing your passionate and your commitment towards the field. Employers look at that and they said, okay, so he can do this, he can do that. Um, Okay, just to finish up, do you want to share your tips for grads currently looking for a job like yours? What would your top tips be? Manit. Commitment. So being passionate and, you know, going out, applying there, don't leave it to the last minute. You know, always have a backup plan. So... If you plan to, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail, basically. And so, get a spreadsheet as well, I guess. Yeah, well, yeah, that helped me. And tailor your covering letter. You know, spend a couple of minutes researching the company, um, take into what they're doing, have an interest in that, show you're interested in that, and hopefully we'll go further. And um, what about you, James? What are your top tips? Um, I think, like I said, it, it, it comes back to side projects for several reasons. Like you, you just need to practice a lot. There are ways to just practice your craft. Like if you spend a lot of time on them, occasionally other people will find them useful, and that can help boost your reputation. But also, just you know, if you are a hacker in your spare time, 
doing side projects is going to get you involved in 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 the community you know you'll you'll get on you know the mailing list for whatever technologies you're using you might try and help out with other people's projects just get to know who's around it's kind of it's not it's like it's not networking in the sense of like you know just getting a job for your mates kind of thing but it's more a kind of trying to get into doing teamwork outside of outside of a professional situation and yeah it just kind of gets your name out there really good advice thanks very much thanks again to Manit Sahab and James Coughlin now don't put your iPads away just yet we've got some more insight from young developer Josh Pickett Last year in a live Q&A on the site, on the career site, Roberto Tiley, who's a server-side software developer here at The Guardian, said, you don't need to spend money to become a developer. You don't even need to go on a course if you don't want to. You can teach yourself. Now, Josh, a 16-year-old developer being tipped for a very successful career in the sector, is doing just that. Hello, Josh. Hello. How are you doing? I'm great, how are you? Um, good, thanks for having a chat with us. So you've been tipped for some really big things. Um, Rewired State, which is kind of a development collective that works with the government, have said that um, you know, you're on the verge of a really big career. How does that feel? Um, it, it's brilliant, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I only started developing, uh, I think it was two years ago. So to hear something like that is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's a great endorsement. So to start off with, tell us about some of the work that you're currently doing. Okay. Um, currently, uh, I'm, I've been doing, as you say, a lot of work with Rewired State, uh, doing what's called rapid development, where we all collect for a day, build something really quickly, and then present it at the end of the day. And uh, that's great for two things. It's great for showing off and being brilliant, and it's also fantastic for learning how to program more than anything else. That's how I learned to program. Okay. So, so you're doing some freelance work as well? Um, yep, I have been doing. What sort of projects are you doing for your freelancing? All sorts of projects, um, ranging from uh, from video work to all sorts of different types of stuff. I've been trying to sort of vary what I do so I can get a, a breadth of experience over a lot of different things. How do you balance that work with your school life and which is more important? It's a very fine balance. Um, it can be difficult at times, but most of the time I, I do have to prioritise um, school work. So um, exam season's coming up at the minute, so yeah. I have to kind of put the the freelance work um, to the bottom of the pile a little bit but as soon as the exam season's over I have a lot of spare time so all the all the spare time that I, that I can get um, I put into development work. All right, so tell us a little bit about how you became interested in programming and where you learned to do it. I know you mentioned hack days but what was the beginning for you? Since a very young age I've always been that computer guy you know the guy who messes about with computers <laughs> and just it just sort of enjoy just sort of enjoys that sort of thing. And it was only a couple of years ago that I uh, began to learn programming. And that was, again, through Rewired State. It was just, it was a complete fluke. I got an email forwarded to me by someone um, who said, hey, check this out. Uh, Would you be interested in going? Um, And I signed up and it was absolutely fantastic. And did they sort of teach you, you know, sort of techniques and programs? They sort of go, so it's like a learning process as well as kind of an, uh, you know, creating something. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, it's, it's through being around other developers um, who have, through, through their own means, learned best practices and the most efficient practices of developing software. 
and uh, you just sort of pick it up from everyone else. So, say if you're if you're doing something uh, a certain way, they'll advise you to do it a different way, which could save you hundreds of lines of code. Tell me a bit about the next step for you. Then, are you planning to continue studying development? What are you going to do when you finish school? Um, at the minute, the uh, the the plan is to uh, head off to college, uh, maybe for a year, maybe for two years, uh, carry on learning a bit of development stuff, and then just really it, it's it's a case of see what happens in the meantime, because two years ago, nothing like this would have ever happened. I'd, I'd never be having an interview with The Guardian about <laughs> development. It was completely unthinkable, but then all, all this stuff happened so, uh, so quickly. Jobs Top 10 time now and we're sticking with the tech theme. We're very excited to have the lovely Jefferson Davis from Guardian Jobs back in the studio. But before you help Ali reveal the chart, you've also got a new job, haven't you? I have indeed, yeah. I'm moving within the organisation. I'm going to be an account manager for the Soulmates dating website. Oh, that sounds exciting. Is that the same role that you're doing now? Or something it's different? not. It's um, My previous role was more sales and recruitment advertising, and now I should be moving into something that's more marketing-based and kind of helping to develop and support a website. So a bit of a change, but yeah, very exciting. Oh, congrats. Thank Good you. luck. Thank you. Um, okay, take it away, Ali. Straight in at 10, it's a web project manager for Cambridge City Council. At 9, Oxford University Press is after a digital production editor. And at 8, the Camden Society is looking for an information systems manager. It's a web community manager for the British Youth Council at 7. The CBI wants a corporate web editor at 6. While at 5, St Albans City and District Council is looking for a web and e-communications development officer. Goldsmith wants a computer technician at four. Coming in at three is a senior user experience architect via ecom recruitment. Pip to the post at two, Digital Gurus is searching for a senior games producer. And topping the charts this week, Sky is looking for new recruits to join its Software Engineering Academy. And finally, here's what we've got coming up on the careers site next week. Okay, on Monday the 6th of June, we have Roots into Fashion. On Wednesday the 8th of June, it's Will a Postgraduate Degree Boost Your Career? And Friday 10th of June is Breaking into Nature Conservation. That brings us to the end of the pod. Thanks to our horde of developer guests, Manit Sahab, James Coughlin and Josh Pickett. Also, Jefferson Davis from Guardian Jobs and Nick Petrie and Ali White. Careers Talk was produced by James Crawford. I'm Kerry Eustace. Goodbye. Goodbye.